Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Today's episode is brought to you by The Road of Shadows, a mystery and suspense audio drama about a man who finds himself on the run in a small town in the mountains, pursued by mysterious creatures that only he can see. This is a highly immersive experience with an emphasis on mood and atmosphere. Feel yourself transported back to 1984 through music and sound that will take you to the streets of a small town deep in the mountains surrounded by mystery. You can learn more about The Road of Shadows at theroadofshadows.com. Find and listen to The Road of Shadows anywhere you listen to podcasts. Our thanks to The Road of Shadows for their support. Hello, hello. This is Eleanor, executive producer of Unwell. This show is possible because of the support of our fans. That's you. If you are enjoying the show, we hope that you will join us as a member at audaciousmachinecreative.com. For $5 a month, members get all kinds of behind-the-scenes content, like annotated scripts, deleted scenes, and full tracks of the original music in the show. And you get an ad-free feed, not only of Unwell, but also of all of the other fiction podcasts we make. You can find us at audaciousmachinecreative.com. Again, that's audaciousmachinecreative.com. Hi, listeners. As you'll hear in the upcoming introduction, this episode is built from content recorded in fall of 2022. But given what is happening nationally and in the Pitt community while we're posting this episode about inclusive world building and normalizing queerness, we wanted to acknowledge the ongoing struggle against deeply hateful, ignorant, and dangerous anti-trans rhetoric and bills being passed. Even just on our team's campus between March and April 2023, student organizations at Pitt are hosting three transphobic speakers, including one who has been quoted calling for the eradication of trans people. This is a reflection of rhetoric happening at the national level, and it is something we cannot take lightly or look away from. As we make clear in our team's value statement, language has power. Being inclusive designers means first recognizing exclusion through intersections of systems of power and larger contexts, and then working to center these communities, often marginalized by design. This includes our queer community. Inclusive design recognizes that we are stronger because of our differences, and that diversity of identity is not something to flatten out or eradicate. To the queer community at Pitt, you are valid and you are wanted here. We deserve to be here just as much as anyone else. In times like these, it is important to have moments of and spaces for queer joy as a form of resistance. And we hope this conversation can be one of those joyful, restorative moments. Outside of the following conversation, we will be providing resources compiled by Pitt in our resource library's recommended readings, which are linked in the episode's description. 
Hi, I'm Lynn Priestley, and you're listening to Welcomed by Design, the show where we discuss and imagine how we can design more inclusive and accessible futures. This recording is part two of our very exciting and spooky two-part Queer Horror Week special. Fall of 2022, Welcomed by Design was invited to participate in a series of panels for Queer Horror Week, organized by University of Pittsburgh's Horror Studies Working Group. The themes included accessibility and intersectionality and identity through the lens of horror podcasts. So it felt like the perfect blend of topics to create an episode from event recordings. But it didn't just stop at panels. Members from the wonderful and talented cast and crew of the BBC award-winning audio drama Unwell joined us for a quote-unquote brief 15-minute post-panel interview that ended up running closer to an hour. Unwell is a fictional Midwestern gothic mystery podcast about conspiracies, ghosts, and unusual families of blood and choice. There's also some iconic content about a business card to prevent early morning interactions and celery. Their inclusive practices are woven into both their real-life production and fictional content, so there was just too much good footage from that week to trim to a clean hour. So we made the call to create a two-part special instead of our traditional episode and supplement pairing. Part one focused on real-life inclusive podcast production, and this part two will focus on their inclusive fictional content. To help weave together Unwell's insight from all of these panels and the interview, members from the Welcomed by Design team are joining me in studio to look back on events, offer some meta-commentary about our podcasting practices, and do a couple supplemental fact and term checks as needed. So to start off the Welcome by Design team intros, I'm Lynn, I use they, she pronouns, and I'm the host and one of the producers on the team. And today I'm joined by... Hey, I'm Teddy Devari, and I'm the transcriber with Welcome by Design. And hi, I'm Dr. Jessica Fitzpatrick. I tend to use she, her pronouns, and I'm the executive producer of Welcome by Design. All right, and now we will let Unwell introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Ellie Maitland, uh, she, hers, and I am a voice actor on Unwell. I play the waitress. Hi, my name is Jess Wright Buha. Um, I go at use she, her pronouns, and I am one of the writers on Unwell. I'm Mark Soloff. I am a voice actor. I play Silas Lodge, and my pronouns are he, his. My name is Jeffrey Nils Gardner. I am an executive producer and director for the podcast, and my pronouns are they, them. I'm Amelia Bethel, she, her, and I voice Marisol. I'm Jessica Best, she, her, and I'm another one of the writers on Well. So this first part of the conversation is a really interesting discussion around um, what is considered capital O other in horror versus what is normalized. Um, And specifically around mental health um, and the normalization of neurodivergence and mental illness in the world of unwell. I, I would love to talk about um, uh, mental health and unwell for a bit, and, and I, I would super encourage anyone, uh, everyone to jump in as they feel comfortable. 
Um, I think the, the thing I want to lead with is, is actually not um, the like big specter of mental health and unwell, which obviously is, is God's Alzheimer's, um, but the ways that it kind of permeates and thus normalizes and like kind of uh, we were very concerned as we developed, and especially as we named the show Unwell, that um, people would, that, that we would fall into tropes or people would read it as, um, you know, Alzheimer's and mental health issues are scary, frightening, horrific. Um, and a, a thing that I think the writing team and sound team have done really well throughout is um, there, there, there is a, there are baseline levels of, um, neurodivergence throughout the series. Um, Marisol has to go back and get meds, uh, from her house, uh, when, you know, she, she is staying somewhere else. Um, and actually, I guess we, I, I don't know if we ever explicitly say what kind of meds those are now that I think about it? We do. do we? Yeah, oh. because it's what I take because we're tasking. There we go. Um, uh, um, Abby, for instance, in, in uh, season two, episode seven, we have these montages of their um, morning routine. And because I take uh, escitalopram every morning, uh, Abby also takes that. Um, as and like you hear that distinctive, you know, pill case rattle, swallow, um, and I, it, it was it was really important for me in, in making that choice to build it in as a normal piece of life in the way that it is normal for many of us, and like not a thing that was horrifying or uh, scary or unusual. I think that that's true of a lot of um, identities in Unwell. Things that I, I'm no horror scholar, but I feel like things that are often used in horror as part of what is horrific, like um, mental health or um, queerness or racial or ethnic identities. Um, in Unwell, there are people who are queer, who have mental health issues, who are part of the global majority, and that's just a part of their identity. And the horror comes from something else. And I think that is really special and also um, is a horror is capable of so much more. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, people who are, you know, full of all kinds of different intersecting identities, um, there's things that are more interesting than just like the facts of their birth. Those things are beautiful and interesting, of course, but like I also love to hear about just like you know, their record shop that they own, or the fact that they were a llama herder at one point. Like, it, I like how it expands what we expect, both from characters who have these identities and also where horror or terror is going to come from. I also think, uh, as someone who has an anxiety disorder, it's very interesting to be writing horror because, like, everything is scary to me anyway. And so... Uh, I think there is something about like explicitly stating like these are characters with these mental health issues who are sometimes going through very extreme frightening things and you as the listener even if you don't have those particular conditions 
you can kind of go, oh, like that is, this is kind of a metaphor maybe for what it feels like to have a really bad mental health episode. Well, uh, I have said for a long time that um, that horror is a great uh, um, genre to consume as a community, as a uh, in groups, because uh, it encourages folks to explore what it is they thought was scary in any particular story uh, in a group setting. And much like how when you deconstruct why a joke is funny, it's not funny anymore. I think exploring and having the vulnerability to discuss what is scary to you and why it makes it less scary. So it can be used as a social tool for making people braver and having better conversations and having more important fears in general. I think in Unwell, the big antagonists, and not all of them are horror characters really, but the antagonistic forces are generally sort of the, the old tradition, the, 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 um, the people who, who seek to have power and control and who purport to be part of a system or institution that supports the community, helps the community. So the mayor, the absentee mayor, who's supposed to be there supporting is narcissistic and not helping with all these weird things. The Delphic Order, who is ostensibly this protective ancient kind of organization, um, later on, spoilers, is really trying to seek control over the situation and over other people. Silas Lodge is behaving as though the people of the town are an invasive species, and they are. Um, and Silas wants to have control of the town. And part of what's horrific with Silas is that we don't know really what he is or why he's doing this. And he's willing to kill people to get his agenda of control across. And so it's, it's, it's terrifying to have a leader or somebody in power who is doing horrible things to the population and you can't fully get their motives. Um, I think that those are the recurring motifs of, of real horror in our series, much more so than uh, there's wolves out there in the forest and we don't know exactly where they are. They might get us. Um, so I, I think in a way that the groups that have traditionally been classified as other by like cis hetero white society, those groups are the heroes and the, the other is this old guard trying to hang on to power, trying to control those groups. So did anyone have any thoughts on that conversation after listening to it? This is just me fangirling. I just really appreciate the way Unwell creates a story world where it is normal. Um, and they let their their characters really be who they are. And I appreciate that. Not only do you hear that in the podcast itself, but in the way they talk about the making of the podcast, you know, from all of their different positions. So I, I don't know, just, just yay from me. <laughs> I also really enjoyed how they highlighted just all of the different ways that people are othered and how that's always used as some sort of like plot against them. Um, to hear that people are just really intentionally being like 
that's not something we're going to use in our plot. Like, if it's going to be scary, mm -hmm. it's going to be something that's, like, you know, really facing a problem that isn't created by <laughs> oppression. Mm -hmm. Right. I just, I just thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. I think one thing in addition to uh, neurodiversity and mental illness being normalized is also, like, queerness and specifically gender queerness um, is something that I think was normalized, but not like unrealistically so. Like their misgendering still happens. And one of the non-binary characters in the show, um, Abby, is misgendered by the protagonist um, in their like introduction to the show. Um, so we wanted to know kind of rhetorically like what was happening with that move being Abby's introduction and this is what they had to say so this was my episode um this was I believe episode one four uh, one two maybe one two I'm a liar um and for me the reason why I chose to have a, a misgendering moment there was I guess first of all to first of all to just kind of lay out into in a somewhat elegant way, just kind of establish that um, Abby um, was a, um, uses they, them pronouns. And I, um, and I, I also wanted to demonstrate Lily's attitude um, towards folks who use non-binary pronouns, which is it's accepting and, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. And also I did, I did want to model kind of briefly just for everyone in the universe, how, to um, navigate that kind of situation. Um, and I, I kind of wanted to, you know, because I, I have Abby, um, um, they say um, when Lily apologizes profusely, Abby says, no, it's fine. And Lily kind of keeps, gets into kind of an apology spiral. And then Abby's like, too many apologies make it weird. Um, and so I, I really wanted to kind of model for, for us um, cis humans um, that's kind of like, like try, try to make your part of, of, of the misgendering as kind of small as possible and not kind of centered around yourself. It's like, oh God, like, oh, flagellation. Like I'm so, this is such a horrific thing. It's like, it's fine. However, the more you stretch out the, the painful situation, that's not like gonna make it less painful by, um, and, and so I, I, I kind of wanted to model that experience um, or that, that, that situation, so. So I'd say, I mean, um, as a, as a non-binary, you can't see this, this is a podcast. I'm a non-binary person. I have broad shoulders and a beard. So I, I get misgendered frequently. It's a thing that happens. And, uh, for me, I think having it right up front did a couple of things. It like acknowledges it, like, this is the reality. This happens. Um, it, uh, it means that the audience isn't always waiting for the shoe to drop. Um, it also means it happens in a uh, relatively safe environment. It's not one of the, you know, the antagonists misgendering Abby. It's the protagonist does it. And, and I think like Jespoir was saying, like models for cis people like you can do this and still be a good person. Like, yeah, it, it happens and, and everyone moves on and everyone's like, it's, it's gonna be okay. Um, so I think, I think having it 
upfront in that like relatively safe like it happens it's done and and then we don't really play that card again we don't we don't do that and because we don't need to it's it, it that's not the that's not the point of the world um it's it abby is a gender queer person like many of us is a non-marinary person like many of us um and that just gets to be a fact after that yeah, I really appreciated that it was like never weaponized against Abby. Like the librarian, for example, is very frustrated with Abby, um, but never misgenders them. Did anyone have any thoughts on the misgendering conversation? No, just like you. Uh, I so, so appreciate the way they're like, we need to show this because it happens, but also here's, here's a way to move on. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so this next part is just, I think, my favorite part of the conversation um, between part one and part two. It was during our post-panel interview. Um, Dr. Fitz just invited them to add their favorite moments of the show and favorite characters and just kind of um, relish in what they've created and towards the end of that conversation, we also sort of naturally segue into talking about a moment in the show where Abby is pointing out revisionist history. Revisionist history is a term we want to clarify given the many ways it is used today. So pulling from one definition from an article by Aaron Bartram, which shows how we're using it to reference the history pageant in Unwell's Mount Absalom. Revisionist history refers to the conscious, intentional misstatements about things in the past, whether distant or recent. And to get a little more nuance on what I mentioned about the term being used many ways, check out Bartram's article, which we'll be linking in our resource library. But in the case of this upcoming conversation, Abby is calling out that the history pageant in Mount Absalom tells the story of a massacre that there was no reliable evidence to prove happened by an indigenous tribe they don't even name. Whereas there is evidence that the people of the town were dying in large numbers due to cholera. Reading from the transcript from season one, episode three, which we'll also be linking, Abby ends their correction of the facts with, quote, if you're going to invent your history from whole cloth, at least get the details straight, end quote. So with that context in mind, we'll listen back first on Unwell's broader thoughts on inclusive world building, then on addressing revisionist history. Y'all are so inclusive with the characters that you build and how you bring them to life. And I just... I mean, this is not a pointed question because I want to invite you to just relish um, what you've spent so much time and effort creating. Are there any characters, or for sound people, like sound is characters, so you can take this to mean whatever you want it to mean, that you were particularly enamored or excited to be able to bring to life for a podcast, perhaps because of how they represent certain lived possibilities? And if you're just like, no, this one's my favorite, <laughs> uh, that counts too. For me, Nora was um, really, really an exciting character. I guess for me, both like Nora and Marisol as like our lady tinkerers, um, and like, um, yeah, lady scientists. And um, I just, yeah, there was so much possibilities 
there and so much excitement about like for Nora being um, being this scientist and not just like a scientist but like a literal genius who had developed this telescope that could you know it's um, yeah that it would it was just like the greatest thing ever I just want to share a line from Stephen Bond that is an early skit but yes um, um, <laughs> exclusive content <laughs> But, but there's this telescope that just is so, so extraordinary. Um, and Nora just being such a, a scientific force and such a gorgeous um, poetic force. Um, it's just been such a joy to kind of exist in the same world. Um, so. Something that uh, Lane Marisol, that's very special to me. Um, as a Latina person, usually when you play a character where that is stated about them, um, usually that's what the art is about, um, is about that part of identity and is about um, hopefully an equal measure, but not always, the struggles as well as the joys of that identity and of the lived experiences that can come with that identity. And something that I really love about Marisol in the world of Unwell is that yeah, it's a part of her identity. It's an important part, like it's an important part of my identity, but um, it's not discussed beyond memories of family or beyond moments where she clearly like wants to mention it, um, which is kind of how <laughs> my life and how a lot, of, a lot of my family lives their life, how my friends who are also Latina live their life. It's a joyful part of my identity, but it's not what I talk about all the time. It's not um, the totality of who I am. And so I, I've always found that deeply gratifying to get to play someone who is authentically, like, shares an identity with me and who the audience knows shares that identity with me, but who is not completely defined by this one thing. Yeah. I mean, I think um, there there is a tendency, yeah, for for so many identities like that, and, and especially in in race and, and nationality and um, ethnicity, for for characters to get so flattened, and um, uh, yeah. Ooh, I thought I had something to add to that. Apparently, I was just agreeing. <laughs> frustrates me and um, and uh, how exciting it has been to watch the writer's room yeah let let characters be characters who have identities not identity characters yes uh, I would uh, shout out Abby for that representation as a neurodivergent character it's mm -hmm. great to have a protagonist in that role and that I can be excited about and also inspired by and be like they've got other shit going on <laughs> That is not all they are. Yes. Yeah, I really, I love writing all of them, but I love writing Abby. I love that Abby is sort of, sometimes the voice of reason, and that the voice of reason is coming from this queer, mentally ill person who is, happens to also be the person who's like, wait a minute, hang on. This situation is completely bizarre, and someone needs to say it. The sewers don't make sense, and you should care. I was like, I empathize so much. <laughs> yeah. Nothing about monsters. No, I'm kidding. <laughs>
I love Silas Lodge. No. <laughs> um, I love Wes. Mm. Uh, and I, I really appreciate the journey that Wes goes through. I think that horror often uses um, a scary monster as a metaphor for something that is really going on in the world that is anxiety provoking. And Wes has very interesting struggle of who am I? What am I? Um, am I less now that I'm learning about what I really am? Um, which I think maps over very easily to people who are struggling with figuring out their sexuality. Um, and I mean, also just Wes as a character yeah. is such a buoyant, like exuberant, wonderful uh, a part of the show. Um, yeah, love that Wes. Yeah. Love that Wes. <laughs> I want to actually say something about Rudy mm. that uh, I really love, um, and and I think this is this is a piece of this is like, and and I think this goes back a little bit to what Amelia was saying in terms of like. There are there are lots of queer characters in the show. There is a non-binary um, character. There are several um, lesbian or bisexual. Um, I, I think we never answer that question really with either Lily or Nice. No, Marisol. Yeah. She introduces she, herself. That's right. That's right. Um, uh, so, but, and, and, um, and, uh, there are, um, uh, in later episodes, there are other queer characters that show up both historically and in the present day. Um, and, and then there's Rudy, mm -hmm. who we, we pretty specifically never ascribe queerness or not to, um, he, he uses he, him pronouns um, and also wears a dress and looks fabulous in it. And, and I really like that because we have straight characters and queer characters, um, we're also able to have this character that like kind of queers the, and like doesn't, doesn't have a, a um, a stated identity and and is allowed to be allowed to have the space of ambiguity of like maybe he's cis maybe he's not maybe he's queer maybe he's not that and and like I think opens the space for what I think is is so beautiful about queerness when it is allowed to blossom and thrive of being ambiguous and like sitting and relishing in that, in that ambiguous space. Um, Can I just jump on about Rudy? Um, something that really impresses me with the world of Unwell and writing of Unwell is the amount of just flat out acceptance. It's like this small town in Ohio accepts you first. And then if, if you prove yourself to be villainous, then they might reject you. But essentially, it's very, very welcoming to all, all kinds of folks. And there is a part in one of the seasons where Rudy is speaking to some imaginary students mm -hmm. because it's an or, a method to organize his thoughts and it helps him kind of hash things out. And I believe a character walks in on this and there's a little bit of awkwardness, but 
it's not a scene about, oh, we need to call somebody and get Rudy <laughs> some help. Mm -hmm. He's seeing imaginary people. It's, oh, well, if this works for you and this is not distressing and if you're not harming yourself or anyone else, you know, more power to you. Go for it. Um, I think, and I'm trying not to speak back to the one-star iTunes reviews here, <laughs> um, but like, I, th there is a thing where people are like, well, that's not what the Midwest is like. Mm -hmm. And and I think there's 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 a subtlety there because yes, there are there are lots of problems with um, uh, segregation and bigotry and not acceptance in the Midwest. But there are also there are there are subcommunities there um, where that's not true. And you know, I have lived in the Midwest for most of my life uh, because I do consider Pittsburgh to be the you know, Ouch, the, man. it's it's the last <laughs> it's the last friendly house uh, of the Midwest, um, uh, and that's a whole other podcast. But no, no, but like, um, and but it's not just in cities, and it's not just you know. Um, you know, we get people saying, oh, there aren't queer people in the Midwest. Yeah, we're there. Mm. I I was, I lived in a, you know, a county of 3,000 yes. people, and I was there, and I knew other queer people, and like, and there are accepting people, and, and there are, maybe we are imagining a sub-community that has grown to a full-size community. But also, there are ghosts, which I don't think are real either, so we get to live the world of yeah. I do believe ghosts are real. That's right. But to your point, too, I mean, it's, we, I want to live in that world where you can go to a small town in the Midwest and everyone is accepting and there's no angst about queer identities or identities that are not, mm -hmm. quote unquote, the norm. And so I think it's very important to live in that world, a first step is creating that world through art, I think. And so I think that's what we're doing um, with Mount Absalom. And I think that's really important. Like, you know, you said it's not gonna like solve all the world's problems, but right. it's, it's solving a problem. Yeah. It's creating a representation of that world that I think we all wanna live in. Fiction can be aspirational. Yes, yeah. shout out to speculative fiction forever. Yeah. <laughs> this this gets me to one thing that we both kind of clocked and we're like, did you hear that moment? I heard that moment. Which, where Matt Absalom wasn't this this ideal we might all want to build and move towards in the world, ghost exempt, right? Which was the, um, the moment when Abby interrupts the history pageant, right? To point out revisionist history and those points we both thought were very specifically laid out, not only because it's Abby and they are precise, but also because it seems, perhaps, this is the real question, uh, like the town didn't even name the tribe in their version of events. Uh, we were curious if this was based on a specific moment or example when you have encountered this, or because we know this happens a lot, <laughs> just like a general trend. Like if you could speak about that a little bit. I grew up in the 90s when I feel like pop culture was just starting to be like, oh, hey, we have never talked about indigenous peoples ever. 
And so, like, when I was growing up, there were all these, you know, kids' shows that would have the Native American character who would be framed as the Native American character yeah. and often wouldn't get much else going on there. And, um, yeah, the amount of violence by omission in American rhetoric of, you know, relegating so many different cultures and people who lived here to one word mm -hmm. and frequently that word being something that we shouldn't repeat in company. Uh, yeah, it, I, I'm a little bit of a history nerd and uh, it seemed like something that we needed to address at some point making a show about America. Uh, and I'm not a very subtle person, so I decided to, <laughs> direct it, to address it pretty directly. Um, I think if I was going to do it again, my one thing would be trying to figure out a way that the voice of truth is not also a white person because like, mm -hmm. that's yeah. a little awkward. Um, I mean, we do get the moment where uh, the librarian is yelling to cut Abby's mic and Madison is like, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think... Um, it was something that we needed to address early on in the show. So, did anyone have any thoughts on their inclusive world building, the characters they bring up, or revisionist history? This is why you should go listen to Unwell. Um, <laughs> I, Absolutely. And, yeah, and, and I think why, you know, the, the phrase revisionist history doesn't have to be meaningless. Um, and why it can be a door opening without making it be the thing that the podcast episode entirely is about, right? You can still confront and consider it in really um, interesting and creative world-building ways. So I appreciated that, too. Thank you for joining us for part two of our spooky special episode. We hold that citation and acknowledgement are inclusive acts, so we want to give credit. This episode was produced by Dr. Jessica Fitzpatrick and me, Lynn Priestley. Sound design is by Chloe DeHaan. Music in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Other resources like the recommended readings from today's guests can be found in our podcast's resource library, which is managed by producer Emily Kuntz. The link to that library will be in the episode's description, along with a link to the transcript of this episode, done by our transcriber Shivangi Teddy Thavari. For more conversation with the team of Unwell, this time about their inclusive real-life podcast practices, be sure to check out part one of our Queer Horror Week special if you haven't already. We record at the University of Pittsburgh, which occupies the ancestral land of the Adena culture, Hopewell culture, and Menangihala peoples, who are later joined by refugees of other tribes, including the Delaware, Shawnee, and Haudenosaunee, driven here from their homelands by colonizers. We honor these traditional native inhabitants of this place and uplift their historic, unique, and enduring relationship with this land, which is their ancestral territory. We pay our respects to their elders and their past, present, and future people, community, and culture. If you have questions, guest suggestions, or comments about the accessibility of this podcast, please don't hesitate to email us at welcomedbydesign at gmail.com. 
With that, this has been part two of our sixth episode of Welcomed by Design. A big thank you to the team of Unwell for taking the time to record with us, and for the folks behind Queer Horror Week at Pitt for inviting Welcomed by Design to join in on the fun. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you'll join us for our next episode. Let's get together soon. Okay, so because Unwell mentioned doing post credit scenes, we thought it would be fun to um, take our own shot at, at doing a post credit scene. And Teddy had the brilliant idea of instead of our clippies or term checks, we, we have a snippies segment where we read um, some of the absolute uh, wild uh, takes of our auto transcript of what we what we said. So we pulled some things from our conversation with um, us and Dr. Fitz for the segues, and um, we're now going to reenact <laughs> these these transcripts. So Teddy is going to be Dr. Fitz here because I was the other person speaking. So I come in saying, and then the other fact check, beyond ethics, we had to cut that part for time. So we... Meow. (laughs) (laughs) We are... (laughs) (laughs) Meow. Yeah, I know. Cutting part of this episode made me so sad. (laughs) What kills me about this part is that... It it starts as a subtle, like a subtle meme. With then, a comma. With a comma. And then the next one is it's like a more insistent meme because apparently I just keep pressing on. <laughs> with a period. I remember reading through this to like check if we needed to re-record anything. And I sent Teddy a screenshot of this. And I was like, surely this could not be what Dr. Fitz said. Um so that was transcript one, uh, segment one. Do you have a, a line for number two? Oh, for this other one? Because oh. I can't control F. Oh, actually, there was one that where I was just laughing, but like, ha, ha. Huh. <laughs> so sometimes when Dr. Fitz laughs, like the ha's will start in lowercase, but no, this will like transition into uppercase. That's so good. Okay, so this is transcript number two. Um, I'm going to be Dr. Fitz this time. Teddy is going to be themselves. Teddy, I was trying not to not include you, so if you have that, please say them. And you. I was really impressed, actually, that Riverside could switch languages, even if it, <laughs> Teddy was speaking in English. Like, it, it gave us Korean, um, which is, like... I'm bilingual, but not in the the language that I can actually speak. Yeah, yeah. Transcription Teddy is different from real life Teddy. Okay, so transcript number three. uh, Teddy is going to be Dr. Fitz. I was like... Ha. Is that? Ha ha. What? Ha. You want us to say? The last thing. Yeah. <laughs> the part that I love is that these try to like time sync, so they're trying to catch overlapping tracks by splitting them apart, but it's just like 
lowercase h a space h a so it sounds like um i'm a bit robotic in my laughter um but this is why psa you should not be posting auto transcripts we we thought it was best to bring you actual examples to prove why human transcription and teddy's job is 100% necessary to what we do do you have any final thoughts on auto transcripts? You know, some of it's so funny that it's like, I wish I could leave it in, but. Well, I mean, you can leave annotated, maybe like when we annotate the transcripts, you could uh, add in some of the worst um, attempts at giving what we said. Be like, That's this true. is what the auto transcript said. Um, yeah. All right. Oh, there's, there's one more thing. There's one more. Um, and this isn't from the auto transcript necessarily. It's when I was like listening to something and like purely writing it by listening to the audio. Um, Jeffrey was talking about, um, post-credit scenes and (laughs) I was like, sometimes when I'm transcribing, I just auto fill in what I think they're going to say next. And it doesn't always work out. It typically doesn't. <laughs> I try to just listen to them and write exactly what they say instead of like having to backspace all of it. But um, you can compare and contrast to what Jeffrey really said. But what I wrote was that that is part of why we occasionally throw in a little post credit scenes in. So we give people reasons to live. That's not what Jeffrey said. <laughs> But I was like, that's perfect. <laughs> we are giving people reasons to live with our secret scenes. All right. Well, it was a it was a pleasure reading through auto transcripts with you, Teddy. Silently nods. I'm like, we don't do it enough. <laughs> Maybe we're going to have to start doing this a little bit more just to keep people on their toes of like, you should listen through the credits because who knows? So true. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. In the alley, the scent is stronger, overpowering. As I watch, the overhead lamps flicker and wink out one by one. God damn it. No. The girl appears briefly under the last streetlight, the headphones snug against her ears, the Walkman clasped to her hip. She's oblivious as she walks, lost in her own world. Hey, stop! I need to talk to you! Then she's swallowed up by the darkness again. Helen, wait a second! (laughs) It strikes her in the gloom so fast she barely has time to scream. She falls into the edge of the lamplight and lies there, bleeding, motionless. The man's skin is scaly, flaking and there are patches of soot on his cheeks. He stares at me with eyes like midnight. Eyes that are devoid of remorse, devoid of humanity. He's one of them. I turn and run, and I don't look back. The Road of Shadows, a new mystery and suspense audio drama by Mark R. Healy, creator of The Strata. Listen now at theroadofshadows.com. Thank you.